Father, thank you so much for this time, and, and we really do praise the fact that we're yours. And God, tonight as we look at what it means to live is Christ and to die is gain, it's a, it's a serious joy. And as we learn about the importance of your church, Father, I pray that you would, that you would move tonight. I could, I could preach the greatest sermon ever, but it's nothing. It's just preaching to a bunch of, of empty bodies if you don't move. So I pray that you would move as you've moved through the music tonight. Now move in the Word, in Christ's name, amen. Well, what's up, team? Welcome back to our third part of our series in Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians 1 tonight. We're actually finishing up Philippians 1, so go ahead and turn there. Philippians chapter 1, and while you're turning there or scrolling there, just kind of a rehash of what we've talked about. Remember, Philippians is a letter written by Paul to the church at Philippi. That's where the name comes from. So Philippians, written by Paul to the church at Philippi. He wrote it in prison from Rome, okay? And the reason Paul is in prison is because of the gospel. And when I say the gospel, the gospel is the teaching or the telling of Christ's life, that Christ really was a real person, that he really did walk the earth, that that he is the one that the Old Testament is pointing to. He really died for the sins of his people. And if you would believe, this is kind of the heart of the gospel, if you would believe in him, if you would call yourself one of his people, then then you will have eternal life with him. That's what Paul preached And that's what got him in prison, and while in prison, he wrote this letter. So let me ask you, what kind of letter would you write in prison? If you get thrown, if you were thrown into jail for sharing the gospel with your friends, and like we've talked about before, some of you, you don't know the gospel. Um, This is still new to you, you're still learning it, or maybe you've got it up here in your head but it hasn't moved into your heart yet, just kind of stick with me and try to imagine, try to go with me here, that you get thrown into jail because of Jesus. What kind of letter would you write in there? And, and, and here's the thing. Um, you say, I have no idea. I have literally no clue what, I, I don't have any plans to end up in prison or around a general vicinity of a prison anytime soon. This has nothing to do with me. Most of my friends are in church anyway. They're actually here. Um, well, maybe. Uh, but, and so, so this has nothing to do with me. It, it really does. It has a lot to do with you, and it has a lot to do with me. Because, you see, we may not be in jail the way Paul was when he wrote Philippians. We may not be in jail like Paul, but we all have our own prisons, Okay? We all have our own prisons, and and they may not be as dire as Paul's, but they are frustrating, and they do hurt. Some of you may know what it's like to go through a breakup. Um, I I have gone through a breakup as as well, more than I will ever tell you, and 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 you got to get locked in that. And some of you know what I'm talking about, but and, and some of you don't worry, it's coming. But you get you get locked in that sadness and you, this heaviness that you cannot escape and you can't shake out of it. And for some of you, maybe you're in a job that you don't that you don't like, that you don't want to be in, but you need the money, and there's really no other opportunities right now, so you have to stay there. And then for some of you, maybe it, it's a family situation. There's something going on in your family that that's really hurting or really pulling you down, and that. That may not go anywhere anytime soon, because that's your, that's your family. 
And maybe it's not quite as heavy as that, but it's still frustrating. Maybe you're playing a sport and you can't, you can't get your shot where it's supposed to be or you're not swinging like you were a month ago. Whatever the situ- now, now follow this. Whatever the situation, and you, you do your own situation. Whatever the situation is, you're stuck in it and you can't get out. That sounds a lot like a prison to me. And so for whatever prison you're in, for however long you're in that season, while you're in that prison right now, what is your heart saying about that situation right now? In other words, what letter are you writing from your prison right now? You see, Paul's letter hits a lot closer to home than we think it does. And the exact same way that Christ helped Paul in prison, look at me, and then you can tune back out. The exact same way that Christ helped Paul in his prison, he can help you in yours. Okay? But again, because prisons can be kind of isolating, which means they can make you feel very lonely, whatever it is, in your heart or physically. So Paul and you, you're in jail, you're by yourself, you're away from your family, you're away from your friends. Maybe even though you're right around them, you still feel isolated from them. You know what I mean? Um, There's no comfort and you don't know when you're going to get out. Well, what kind of letter would that be? That sounds like a recipe for a depressing, sad letter. So that's probably the letter you're going to write, isn't it? I don't think so. I don't think that has to be the letter that you write. Because just like Christ helped Paul in prison... Christ can come, can come to you in your prison and help you. Bob did a great job last week of talking about this guy, John Bunyan. He gets thrown into prison for sharing the gospel. He can't do anything else while he's in, I mean, he's in jail, so he can't do anything there. So while he's in jail, he begins to write this book, true story. He begins to write this book called Pilgrim's Progress, which is this symbolic story of this man's journey to faith, his journey to Jesus and Christianity. Guys, It's the second highest selling book of all time behind the Bible. And he wrote it in jail. What is that if not Jesus helping this guy in jail? And it sounds like Christ did get him out of his prison. Pilgrim's Progress has been read by people all over the world. So in a way, Christ got him further out of prison than he ever could have on his own. Another guy named John Patton. And I've told this story before and I will tell it again. Um... His name is John Patton. He was a missionary in India and Africa, sharing the gospel. True story. In the middle of the, in kind of the mid 1800s, he's sharing the gospel in this tribe in Africa. And the chief of the tribe betrays him. And so now everyone in the tribe thinks he's an enemy. So they chase him and they're trying to kill him. So he runs into the forest. And this is, listen to this story from his biography. He says, being entirely at the mercy of these awful enemies, I climbed into a tree while I was running and was left there alone in the forest. So he's running from these guys and he climbs to the top of this tree and he just stays up there because everybody's running below and they can't see him. I spent there, the hours I spent there lived before me as if it were just yesterday. I heard the frequent sounds of gunfire and the yells of savages. So, so these savages, see this in your head, these savages are chasing him through um, the forest. They're shooting their guns trying to lure him out or to scare him out. He can't climb down. He's stuck up there. Guys, what is this if not a prison? And so he's in there. Listen to what he says. So again, Christ comes to us in our prisons. Yet as I sat there among the branches, I sat there as safe as in the arms of Jesus. 
Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw closer to me and speak more soothingly to my soul. Here it is. I was alone, yet I was not alone. I would not be angry to spend many nights alone in such a tree again so that I could feel my Savior's spiritual presence and enjoy His friendship. Christ went to Him in His prison. You see that? Well, I have a good friend from uh, back of the church I used to go to that my brother works at now, and the guy's name is Dennis, and he was kind of the creative director um, at the church that I used to go to. He was kind of the Jamie Ritchie, uh, shout out, of, uh, of the church back home, and, and he, got, he got cancer, um, and he survived the cancer, but it was a very long, rough chemo treatment. And, and he says, and he told our pastor Jay this, and then Jay told us, but he said, Jay, I'm not saying that I want cancer again, but I miss how close I was with Jesus during my chemo. He misses how close he was to Jesus during his chemo. And I think we can all agree that cancer and serious disease, that's a prison, it, it alienates you, it alienates your family, everybody looks at you, you're kind of in this prison. And yet he misses being in there because Christ came to him in his prison. Did you hear what John Patton said? I would not be angry to spend many nights alone in that tree again. He wants to go back. Because when Christ visits us in prison... We're freer than we ever could be by ourselves. And here's, and here's the thing, and here's why I'm opening this this way. Some of you are in prisons that you don't talk about at church. Some of you are in prisons of lust and anger and gossip and relationship idolatry, which means you can't help but worship the person you're dating. They suck in all your time. They suck in all your passion. And it's, you're, it's not even totally your fault. You can't help it. And with anger, you just when you're there, the words, whatever, whatever it is, the words just come out. You're just angry or gossiping. When you're around that group of people, the words, they just, they just come out every time. And you, you try to take it back, but you just are struggling with that. Or lust. Don't you see? You're, you're a prisoner of this stuff. And Christ can help you in this prison, and he can help get you out of this prison. And look at me. And I know he can. Because Paul was literally in prison, and Christ came to him. And from his dark prison cell in Rome, he didn't write a depressing, self-absorbed, sad letter, which he had every right to do. He wrote a letter that the theme of it is joy, and in the middle of the letter he wrote, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you're in Philippians 1, go down to verse 21. Philippians 1, 21. And this is Paul speaking from his letter in prison in Rome to the church at Philippi. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Okay, to live is Christ. I've only got two points tonight, and this is the first one. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ. What does that mean? Do you know what that means? Does that make sense to you? Christ is his life, which sounds awesome. Put it on the t-shirt, we're going to camp, it'll be great. But what does that mean? Christ is his life. What does it mean for Christ to become your life? Let me try to explain it like this. Um, 
Did you know that the average lightning bolt, so not even the big guys, the average lightning bolt from sky to surface of the earth, the average lightning bolt is five miles tall. The average lightning bolt, five miles tall. That's almost the height of Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world. Five miles. It's the average, guys. Did you know that Job 38 tells us that the lightning bolts, in all their might, they report to God. And God tells them where they should go. Did you know that a single galaxy can hold up to a trillion stars? Not a million, not a billion, a trillion stars. Job 38 tells us that God picks up the constellations. And Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus holds the universe and all its lightning bolts and all its constellations. Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. He doesn't even have to move. He just speaks and the universe stays in place. To live is Christ. Is this the kind of person that you invite into your life to be your personal assistant? That you try to pencil in wherever you can. That you get, that you get huffy when he doesn't text you back in prayer. You get upset. That's not how you treat someone who's truly great. If you really knew, like think of a celebrity or whoever, if there really was someone that you thought was great, that you really adored, you wouldn't get mad when they don't respond. You wouldn't get mad at that. You would be thankful that they even have your number. You wouldn't get mad that they don't respond back to you. Some of you guys are, are here every Wednesday and every Sunday, and I'm so glad. And for some of you, you're kind of in and out, and that's okay too. But you both have one thing in common. Your God is so small. And a God that small won't make any impact on your life because He doesn't take up any space in your life. So often we invite Jesus into our heart. We accept Jesus into our heart the way you would accept someone to come rent a room in your house. As long as, Jesus doesn't, as long as Jesus listens and obeys your rules and doesn't turn his music up too loud, he can stay. That's how we invite him into our hearts. But according to the Bible, that is not the God of the Bible. Listen to how C.S. Lewis talks about it. Imagine yourself as a living house. So just, just go with me. You imagine that you are a house, okay? Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. So there's salvation. God comes in. You're the house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing in your life. He's getting the drains right, and he's stopping leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But then... Here it is. But then he starts knocking the house around in a way that hurts greatly and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to in your life? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you used to be. He is throwing in a new wing here. He's putting an extra floor here. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little apartment. But he is building you into a palace. 
And he intends to come and live in it himself. Listen to Colossians 3.3. So you think when, when you accept Christ in your life, you think that things will kind of stay the way they are. But not only will they change, he takes your life and he turns your life from this apartment life into a palace. Listen to Colossians 3.3. And Paul says this to Christians. He says, For you have died. What does that mean? We'll talk about it in a second. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died. In a way, when you become a Christian, your life as an apartment ends. Your life as an apartment ends. And, and Christ takes your old life. And, and as sins begin to fall away, fall off of you, you begin to see that He is taking your old life and creating it and building it into this palace that you could never make on your own. Some of you guys may know and, and some of you don't. They're actually coming out with a live action or a real people version of Beauty and the Beast next year. Okay, um, My girlfriend Kristen is a huge fan of the Beauty and the Beast. She loves it. And so for her birthday back in September, her mom got her the DVD version of the, of the cartoon movie. Okay. And so we watched it, and, and you guys know this, okay? Most of you, I hope, know this. At the, at the end of the movie, and think about what we've just been talking about, how Christ rebuilds us, he transforms us. At the end of the movie, the beast encounters true love, right? At the end of the movie, the beast encounters true love. Does he stay a beast after that? No. He transforms, he changes. He and the beast encounters true love, and that encounter with true love changes him. His, look at me. His life as the beast ends, and he becomes something far better and more beautiful. That is the gospel. When we encounter Christ's true love for us, it changes us into something far more beautiful and amazing than we could ever hope to be on our own. That's what it means to live is Christ. To be transformed by him. So to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does that mean? To live is Christ and to die is gain. It's like this. If you've, um, imagine you're living in another city, but you've got a best friend back home that you love, but you can't get to them. You just can't go there right now. Okay? Okay, follow me. Even though you can't be with that person, they still take up a huge part of your life. For example, if, if someone asks you, you know, who's your best friend? You'd mention, you say, it's so-and-so back home. Or when your buddies want to go do something one night, but you want to stay home and FaceTime them or Skype them, you have to tell your friends, look, I'm sorry, I'll catch up with you guys later. I really want to do this and talk to this person right now. So they affect your schedule, right? So even though you can't see this person, even though you can't see this person, they still take up such a big part of your life. Well, imagine how great it would be if you found out that you got to go home to actually see them and actually be with them instead. That's what Paul's talking about. To live is Christ. I can't see him, but he has a, he's making a huge impact on my life. To die is gain. I get to actually go home and see him and be with him. 
So to live as Christ, to die, is gain. Okay, that's one verse of what we want to cover tonight. Um, but that's just, so that's the first point, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Now we come into the second point, and then we'll be done. So you guys are doing awesome. For, uh, we're Philippians 1, that was verse 21. To live as Christ, to die is gain. Now we get into verse 22 through 24, okay? 22 through 24, Philippians 1. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, for I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to part and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh, to remain here, is more necessary for your sake. Okay, so Paul's got two options here, okay? He's in prison in Rome, and so he can either, he'll either be executed in prison, which is one option, where he gets to go home, verse 23, to be with Christ, which is better. So there's the gain. But he has another option, to be spared in prison, to live and to eventually be released so that he can go to the church at Philippi. And here's where it gets important, and here's where it applies to you. Verse 25 and 26. So this is Paul talking about saying, if I am allowed to stay alive. Verse 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. So that's to stay alive. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you. Okay, here we go. So see this. If Paul stays, if he stays alive, if he's allowed to go be with the people at Philippi, if he's allowed to stay alive, he will be useful in their progress and growth in faith. And if he stays, he will be useful so that their confidence will grow in Christ. If he stays, he will be useful in their growth and progress in the faith. If he stays with them, their confidence will grow in Christ. How does that apply to you? Why did I repeat it like 11 times? This is why, okay? Your Christian life, your Christianity is directly impacted by who you spend your time with. Your Christian life is directly impacted by who you spend your time with. Paul says, I must stay with you so that your faith will grow. Which means that if he doesn't stay with them, their faith will begin to wither and die. Look at verse 24. Verse 24. Yet to remain in the flesh, so to stay alive, yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. The King James Version says it's more needful. Why is it necessary that he stays for their sake? It's necessary. It's saying it's necessary because if he doesn't stay with them, their faith will wither away. So it is necessary that he stays. One of the biggest questions of your generation, of my generation, of Bob's generation, not that we're not the same generation, I'm just, you get it. Uh, <laughs> say it proud, brother. Um, one of the biggest questions of your generation, and my generation, and Bob's generation is, why do I have to go to church? I like Jesus. I love Jesus. That's great. Why do I have to go to church, though? Here's one of the billion reasons why, and this is a good one. And before, before I give you the reason, you need to understand, what is it that Vody Bacham said? I don't, okay, I don't write the mail, okay? I just deliver it, okay? Cool? 
I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. Why is it so important for you to stay in church? Here's why. Because according to the Bible, without the church, you will not go to heaven. Without the church, you will not go to heaven. And you say, whoa, young man, look. We don't, we don't need the church to go to heaven we go to heaven because Christ died for us. That's what gets us into heaven. And you're absolutely right. Christ died for your sins. That's what gets you into heaven. And believing in him, believing that, that's how you go to heaven. Christ died for you. If you believe in that, if you believe that, you will go to heaven. Listen to Romans 10, 13 through 15. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there it is. Whoever calls on his name gets saved. There's no church in there at all. Verse 14. But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they haven't heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. This is what that means. Yes, it is the gospel that saves you. Believing that Christ did what he did and said what he said, that's what saves you. But here's the thing. Somebody's got to tell you that. Somebody's got to write the gospel so that you can read it or sing the gospel so you can hear it and be strengthened so that you can hear it and be strengthened in your faith and grow in confidence in Jesus. The church, picture a coin. The church and the gospel are two sides of the same coin. There is no one-sided coin. You cannot have one without the other. I love Jesus, but I'm not a big fan of the church. You don't get to choose that. You only know about Jesus because of the church. You don't get one without the other. Hebrews 3.13 tells us this, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So encourage one another. Encouragement from who? From the church. And what do they encourage you with? The gospel. The church and the gospel are linked together. Without encur- What does it say? Encourage one another so that your heart will not grow hard. Without encouragement from the church, your heart will grow hard. Without the gospel your heart will grow hard. What does Jeremiah say? I will take out their heart of stone, that's pretty hard, and put in a heart of flesh. There's the gospel. Encourage one another so that your heart will not be made hard. There's the church. They go together. A perfect example of this is the thief on the cross. Dude got saved at the last minute, never went to church a day in his life. Yes, he did. I know for a fact that he went to church. Where did he go to church? The last hour of this guy's life was a sermon. It was. Think about it. He's hanging next to Jesus. He sees Jesus dying for his sins on the cross. That's the gospel. Jesus personally presented and showed the gospel to him. Years later, we as a church, what do we do? We go to people or they come to us and what do we present to them? The gospel. We show them Jesus dying on the cross. We do the exact same thing in a manner of speaking. We do the same thing that Christ did. What is the church often called? The body of Christ. It's the same thing. Think about it like this. 
Water gives life, right? Water gives life. The gospel gives life. Same way. But that water has to be put in a bottle. If that water is not being held by something, you can't get it where it needs to go. You can't get it to the people. That's what the church does for the gospel. The church has been charged with holding the gospel, caring for the gospel, just like a bottle does with water, and getting it to the people. 1 Corinthians 4.1, Paul says this about the church. This is how you should treat us as servants of Christ entrusted with the mysteries of God. The church has been entrusted with the word of God. The church is the bottle that holds the life-giving water of the gospel. No other place does this. No other institution has been entrusted with the life-giving water of the gospel. There are Christian organizations like Young Life. There are Christian events like Passion and Winter Jam. Can you go to these? Of course you can. But don't make it church. It's not church. It's not like it's against the rule for you to make that church. It's impossible for you to make that church. That is not the church. Can you go there? Of course you can. But don't make it church. But it feels like church. And I, and I like Jesus. I'm just not crazy about the church. Can you imagine? We need to get water. We need to get water to these earthquake victims in Haiti. We need to get water to them. Okay, here's the water. Whoa, no, 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 no. We, we don't want that water. Why? Well, because it's in bottles. We don't want the bottles, just get us the water. That doesn't make any sense. Well, I love Jesus, I'm just not crazy about the church. It's the exact same thing. It is the exact same thing. And please do not go home and tell your parents that Ryan said, if we don't go to church, we'll go to hell. That is not what I said at all. (laughs) Amen. Church, Church does not get you, church attendance does not get you into heaven. But... Believing in the gospel does. And the gospel is in the word of God. And the word of God was written and protected by God through his church. And what is the church? Last thing, and then we'll be done. Verse 27 of Philippians 1. Verse 27. And when I find it, we'll read it. Here it is. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear, here's the church, I will hear that you are standing together for the faith of the gospel. I'm sorry, standing, ah, let's back up here. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The church is called to be one spirit and one mind. What does that look like? Two things, and then we're out. What does it look like to be one spirit and one mind? And listen. Learning to love on and work with people who frustrate us or people that we don't see eye to eye with. And I'm not talking about when you go to school or when you go to your job. I'm talking about in these walls. Learning to love on and work with people who frustrate us or people that we don't see eye to eye with. And secondly, We learn to reach out to those who don't want to be reached out to. 
We learn to reach out to those who don't want to be reached out to. Prime example, hey, this person's sitting by themselves. Go sit with them. Well, they don't really, they said they don't really want anyone to sit by them. I know that. I get that. But what is the church? We learn to reach out to those who don't want to be reached out to. Because when we do that, when we show them, because when we show them that we're going to reach out even though they don't want to be reached out to, when we show them that we're going to work with people that frustrate us sometimes, that we don't see eye to eye with, we show them, listen, we show the world that we have found something more important and more beautiful than what we want. If it was just what we wanted, then we would say, well, they don't want to sit by me. I'm not going to get anything out of this, so I'm not going to sit by them. Or that person frustrates me in small groups, so I don't really want to work with them. But when we work with them anyway, when we sit with them anyway and bring friends to sit with them anyway, we show them we show them that we have found something that is more important and more beautiful than what we want. We show them what it means that to live is Christ and to die to ourselves is gain. Okay, You may not face certain death anytime soon, but you will face death to yourself very soon. Tonight, tomorrow. Think on this while Ben comes and plays one more song. What it is to live is Christ and to die to yourself is gain. Let's pray.